Well, good evening to you. Thanks so much for the uh, invitation to be back with you, and I bring you the good wishes of uh, the folks who meet in Strave and Evangelical Church. It's lovely to be back uh, on a Sunday evening with you. I was fascinated with the story of Wisconsin, the American couple who were here by an amazing coincidence. Uh, but a year ago, uh, we met a couple from Wisconsin, and it was also their first time in Scotland. We met them at Queen Street Station. They were joining the West Highland Line to go up to Malig. And as it happened, we ended up sitting opposite each other. And so we can imagine this uh, middle-aged American couple and this uh, young couple sitting opposite them here. Uh, we did became the tour guide for them all the way up and uh, seeing the sights of Loch Lomond, etc. But here's the great thing. We thought it was probably just one of these conversations you have. But it turned out in the way up, what she wanted to do was go to, uh, up to Malague, where the train line ends, and then go over to Noida to have a pint. Am I allowed to say pint in the Hamilton Baptist Church? Have a pint in the most remote pub in Scotland, and indeed the UK. And that was her ambition. I was fascinated with that, so I asked her, now tell me why, you must have a reason for this. Well, she said, um, six months ago, I had a heart transplant, and I've got a bucket list of things to do, and that is one of the things on my bucket list. And here's where it all started. Some of you may know our youngest son had a heart transplant. And so we get involved in this conversation, totally unchurched folks. And we just shared with them about how people had prayed for God, and et cetera, et cetera. And by the time we got there, they said to us, you can't leave us, come with us. So we're sitting in that little pub and had a pint with, well, an orange juice, I have to say. But they we're having that with them. And we just continued to share our story. And they went away and shook hands with us and said, well, think about that. You never quite know what's going to happen when you meet people. An everyday conversation turns into something that could be a bit special. So always be prepared just to chat to people. Uh, some people find it easier than others to start up a conversation. But it was a good time we had, and we wish them God's blessing, wherever they are now back in the States. If you have a Bible in whatever form, whether it's tablet or phone or paper, we're turning to the book of Joshua, and we're in chapter 1, and we're reading the first few verses. I've entitled a little talk tonight, uh, we finish uh, in good time because I know you've got communion, uh, titled a little talk, The Next Step, and that's what this uh, few verses in Joshua is all about, The Next Step. So as we listen carefully to God's Word, because it's the only truly inspired thing you'll hear tonight, let's uh, listen to uh, these verses. The paragraphs headed up, the Lord commands Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country to the great sea in the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them, Verse 7, be strong and very courageous, repeats itself, doesn't it? Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you, and do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. 
and then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God bless his holy word to us. It's always interesting to find the purpose of a book and why a book is actually in the Bible at all. Well, the book of Joshua is here to give a history of the conquest of the promised land. It's a transition book and it's a preparation for what comes next. Because as individuals and as family units and as a community and indeed as a country, they were facing a time of flux, uncertainty. That rings a bell, doesn't it? And there they were, they were wondering what happened next. What is actually the next step? Because Moses, their great leader, was no longer with them. The book's divided into two main parts. The first uh, 12 chapters it is, uh, involves the events surrounding the conquest of Canaan. And then chapters 13 through 22, the settlement of the captured territory. Now, I suspect many of us will know what's come before this because the people of Israel have been wandering in the desert for 40 years I guess most folks are aware of that type of history. Traveling in the desert, not because they were following the leader, actually quite the opposite, because they'd failed in their faith and God had designated that they should wander around for these 40 years because they'd have refused to obey God. Moses was their leader, but he never made it into the promised land. He would see what lay ahead, but he would never make it. He stood in a mountain and looked over into that land, and that's all he got the benefit of. We had the privilege of being in Israel over Easter, and there was a lovely old gentleman, a Polish-Jewish Christian was in our group. He was well advanced in years, and I thoroughly enjoyed talking to this man we eventually called Grandpa. And his ambition in going there was to do two things. It was to put his feet in the Sea of Galilee and in the River Jordan. And he said to me, I want to see what Moses saw. And once he had done these things, I said to him, Grandpa, how was it for you? And he said, Willie, I'm ready for glory now. I have done what I wanted to do. Bit of a pilgrimage for him. I wonder what Moses thought as he stood on top of the mountain and he looked over and thought, it would be good, but I'm not going. The reason that Moses couldn't enter into the promised land goes away back to Numbers 20. In a sense, it seems a bit unfair. The people were thirsty, and God told Moses to speak to a rock. Sounds a bit naive, doesn't it? But our God's a great God. To speak to a rock, and water would flow from it and give a drink to the people. Moses got a bit impatient, and he actually struck the rock. And because of that simple act, he was refused entry into the promised land. What's the point? The point's this. Actions have consequences. You ever found that? Moses would be forgiven. But the sin he committed, the disobedience he committed had consequences. So it is for all of us. Our actions have consequences and we need to be careful how we live our lives and the actions that result from that. And so Joshua comes on the scene. He was one of the 12 spies. Remember Numbers 13 and 8? Some of you might just be as old as me who remember an old chorus, 12 men went to spy in Canaan. Do you remember that? Miss Leggett is nodding wildly in the back. She's just going to come down to the front here and sing it and give us the actions at the same time. 
Because you remember that chorus, 10 were bad, 2 were good, and remember that? Some saw the giants tough and tall, some saw the grapes and clusters fall, but there was some, and there was just two, that saw that God was in it all. Two men, Joshua and Caleb, they were the spies who went out, and they saw that actually God was in it all, and they were the ones who would enter into the promised land. Joshua was involved in key moments in Moses' life. It wasn't by accident that the next step for these people were to have Joshua as their leader. One of these key moments was a battle that Moses was involved in, Exodus 17. It was a strange battle. The fighting was going on, and as long as Moses held up his arms, they were winning. But as soon as he dropped his arms, they were losing. So Joshua was brought in to assist in that. Exodus 24, Sinai and the commandments. Who do we find involved? Joshua again. So Joshua was watching the older man and what he did for God and how he acted for God. I wonder two things. If we are in the older generation, are we a good example for those who are following after us? And younger folks in the audience have you somebody who you have as a role model for Jesus? A Christian who you look at and think, I'd like to be like him or her. It's a good thing to have and to learn from them and to be mentored by them. And because he trusted God, only Joshua and Caleb of all who started out were permitted to cross into Canaan. There's a stunning verse in Numbers 14 that says this, all who were over 20 who left Egypt will die in the next 40 years. You see, our God does what he says he does. Some lessons just at that particular part of the story. Number one's this. Joshua had parents who obviously trusted the Lord. They were involved in the exodus, the blood and the lintel of the door. He had parents who trusted God and believed that God did what he said. I'm privileged to be a parent against, I guess many of us are in the audience tonight, Are we setting a good example to our children and to our grandchildren by being people who not only trust God, but believe that he does what he says he does? Joshua was like that. Number two is this, our past matters. Joshua just didn't amazingly appear in the scene. He'd been involved, he'd been mentored by Moses He had been in his class of education, if you like, in finding out what happens next. He didn't just appear out the blue. For all of us, the Bible is vitally important. It's a training ground for us to keep reading, to keep studying, to keep praying. What a great thought that these American couple came to the prayer time. A group of Christians coming together. Tremendous. Our past matters. God is working out his plan in all sorts of different areas. I'm a bit concerned these days about uh, folks growing up in the church life. And my concern is this, that they become actively involved by doing something. It's very easy just to drift through and just become a passenger, as I would call it, in church. Make sure you're involved. Get involved with somebody and ask somebody if you can help, or older folks, let's invite somebody to help us out to mentor them. And the third lesson is this. Did you notice in that little example I gave to you about Moses, God still did the miracle. Moses disobeyed, but God still did the miracle. The people were watered, even though he disobeyed. Choices 
have consequences. You know, God will still work even if we choose not to be involved. God will still work out his plan, but we could well lose out in the blessing because of it. Always seek to obey our God and follow his path and his plan because he will work it out. Do you remember Moses when he died? Deuteronomy 34 and 7. He was 120 years old. Perfect eyesight and as strong as he was when he was a youth. Nathan, I don't think you'll be like that, my man. But what a testimony to have that God looked after him physically and blessed him in these days. And then did you notice verse 6? Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. When did that happen? Well, if you'd like to flick back to Genesis 15, because here we are, this is now setting the scene. The people are moving into a land. It's actually their inheritance. It's special to them. But there must have been a time when that inheritance was written. If you write a will, you're entitling those who will follow on to inherit what you've left. So the Bible must have talked about this before. Sure enough, Genesis 15. In verse 7, God is speaking with Abraham. And he says this, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. This is God's promise. And then in verse 13, the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and ill-treated for 400 years. Now, with hindsight, we can look back and all that and say, absolutely, that's what happened. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will, be to your, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. There's no mistakes in the Bible. It all ties together very nicely. Here's the inheritance coming, coming true. As we flew into Tel Aviv back in April, the plane was extremely busy and we were split up. I wasn't sitting beside my dear wife. There was a fellow at the window seat who slept the moment he left this country and uh, uh, woke up when he arrived there. And there was a lovely senior lady on my left. And as we landed in Tel Aviv, I'm not a seasoned traveler at all, but she and her whole family started to clap. And I looked at her. We'd had a bit of a conversation the way over. And she was a senior lady, and I said to her, are you happy? Yes. I said to her, are you home? She said, I live in Europe, but this is my home. Why do I say that? Because it's totally biblical. They are totally committed to their country. I thought the Scots were patriotic until I met many Jews. They are a level above because this is their land. The land that we're talking about in Scripture here is the very land today that they enjoy and is their inheritance and they will protect to the end. And the people of Israel going to be led by Joshua, they're now at the point of uh, gaining this inheritance. You know, you and I as Christians, we've got an inheritance. As we come to communion, I'm going to be using a little hymn book that I inherited from my father. Great little book. We've all inherited something, but actually as Christians, we have a wonderful inheritance. Ephesians 1.13 says this, it's Paul who's writing, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who has a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those 
who are God's possession. You and I, dear friend, if we are in Jesus tonight, have a wonderful inheritance. The Holy Spirit has entered our lives. I'm not one of these folks who go in for a second blessing. I believe the Holy Spirit enters our lives when we're converted. What we do with the infilling of the Holy Spirit is over to ourselves before a holy God. But daily we ask for the filling of that Spirit to be led into conversations, to be in service for Christ, and just to daily witness for Him. But we have that wonderful inheritance sealed forever. And some of that inheritance is in the future. We won't enter into it till we reach the glory. But right now we have it and we can enjoy it. Charles Price, that great preacher and teacher, he comments about this. He says, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're on a journey, but we're not at the end of the journey. And then he said some fairly profound words. You can be a Christian, a genuine Christian, and utterly bored with your Christian life and utterly bored with Jesus Christ, and frankly disinterested in God, because you've never begun to crack open the riches of the inheritance that is ours as we begin to enjoy the experience. I thought about these words and realized it could be absolutely true. We can become bored with our Christian life. It can become awfully routine. And so daily we come and ask for that filling of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit evidence in our lives. Remember Ephesians 1.18, it says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What a wonderful inheritance we have. Are we enjoying it tonight? It's actually okay to enjoy being a Christian. Because we're filled with the Spirit and we're living for Jesus. And then as we wind up in the last four minutes, there's these wonderful promises in verses 5, 6, 7, and 9. Be strong and courageous. He says it three times in verse 6 and verse 7 and then in verse 9. And that wonderful promise in verse 5. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Fellow Christian, are you enjoying that tonight? As we enter into that difficult meeting, and that appointment, and that circumstance, and that family breakdown, and the financial difficulties, we come back to this wonderful promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's tremendous what we have in Jesus. Of course, we're told to Obey and to meditate in God's word. And don't be terrified and don't be discouraged because there's much to be discouraged about. I was talking to a very interesting man this morning. Uh, he brought his two uh, children to church. And he leaves church and he's an active Sikh. And he goes to the Sikh temple. And we were talking about various things about his religion and why he brings the youngsters. And it was a fascinating conversation. It won't break any confidences. Can't tell you any more. But it was interesting. Was he embarrassed? Not at all. Was he discouraged? Not at all. But he wants his children to grow up with a wide balance and they will choose for themselves. What was interesting as I talked to him was he was quite open and free to talk about his faith and the Christian faith. And it took me back to an article that appeared in the front page of the Herald on the 15th of August. And as I read this article, here's what it said. 
Too many believers no longer talk about Jesus winning salvation for the sinful, but instead point to him as a moral ideal of what humans should strive for. We accommodate, we compromise, we avoid conflict even when conflict is the only proper course. We are too wishy-washy, as we would say in Scotland. I read that and I wondered what great evangelical teacher and preacher said that. Then I found out who did write it. It was one of our Roman Catholic friends who are heavily involved in the city of Glasgow. I was encouraged by that. Because here we are, here's an article on the front page of the Herald simply saying we need to stand up for our faith. And it was coming from our Roman Catholic friends. In verse 9, God promises he'll be with us wherever we go. Dear friend, that is the situation. Some of you have health issues. I've uh, talked long and hard about our health issues and our family. God's been with us and helped us through it. And the difficulties that come, God is with us. I will never leave you or forsake you. And so the next step, they went on, and they went on with God, with Joshua there at the helm leading them forward. And I leave you just with a simple quote before we come to communion, and it's this. It is impossible to stand still in Christian life and service. Whenever we stand still, you immediately start going backward. Joshua was going to lead his people forward to great things, many difficult things, many times of a lack of faith, but all the time they knew that God was with them. In all our circumstances, do we know that God is with us and leading us because he will not leave us or forsake us? And I praise God for that. It was the next step. The next step for us might be lots of different things, but let's take God with us. As one great old preacher used to say, let's take Jesus home with us tonight.